The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome, and welcome everyone. We are very fortunate to have a very special teacher tonight, and I'm delighted to be able to introduce Myoshin Kelly. Myoshin has been a student of Dharma for over 40 years. And in those uh, many years, she has studied with very well-known meditation masters in Zen tradition, Theravada tradition, and Tibetan Vajrayana tradition. And in 1990s, she was trained by Joseph Goldstein, who was also our teacher, Max Numberg's teacher, to become a meditation teacher. Um, And she became a resident teacher at Forest Refuge at IMS, Insight Meditation Society in Barrie, Massachusetts. And in, I think, 1998, she um, began studying uh, Vajrayana, that's a Tibetan uh, Buddhist tradition, with Mingyu Rinpoche. And uh, in 2010, together with her husband, Edwin Kelly, they, they moved all the way to Twin Cities, our beloved city, to help um, establish um, Turger International under the, the guidance of Mingyu Rinpoche. So um, Myoshin has been benefiting from all these traditions, rich traditions, and we are going to benefit tonight. Um, um, Myoshin is uh, currently a senior instructor at Turger International. Did I say she and Edwin helped establish Turger? Um, and Myoshin actually teaches all over the world. So we are very lucky to have you here tonight, and we are looking forward to your sharing. Thank you. Oh, I have a question. <laughs> I've been curious. Is that okay to ask? Okay. I've been, I've been curious about your name, Myoshin. Hmm. Okay. So my name, Myoshin. It came, it comes from a Zen master named Hogan Daido Yamahata. And I practiced with him when I lived in Australia. When I lived in Australia, I had this great love affair with the ocean. And then I was moving to the United States and that was ending my love affair. <laughs> and then right before I left, I had been practicing with Hogan, Hogan-san, as we called him. Uh, and right, right before I left, I went in to see him and I was saying goodbye to him. And then he says, Oh, I have a Dharma name for you. And that's great. And so then he said, Mioshin. And when he said it, my heart leapt. One, because I heard the ocean in it. <laughs> and two, because I thought it was a beautiful name. And so I did ask him what it means. And he said, he said, oh, it means mystic beauty of the heart. And then he said, crude translation. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, whoa, okay. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it just really is about um, the freshness of mind. Transcendent beauty, he called it, and it would, and because it reminds me of the ocean, it reminds me of and the ocean for me was just a wide open heart space, and so it carries just for me it carries a, a, some kind of meaning, and so he told me I should use it, so I did, and it was great because I was leaving one country and I came to the other, and people asked me my name, and there was no questions. <laughs> it was perfect timing, and it stuck. So, thank you. So, so tonight, 
the title I gave to it is Caring for Ourselves, Caring for the World. And you know, I was really reflecting on what it was. I mean, I felt like there's so many things you could say in that. What was it that seemed so important for me to uh, speak to tonight? And I realized that it it comes out of my own sense of urgency right now. It comes out of my own sense of when faced with difficult circumstances, whether it be physical, mental, or environmental, that those are the times when I feel like in my practice there's, there can't be any wavering. It really feels like the time to turn up and to really utilize all of the gifts that we've been given through the knowing about the practice, the knowing about how to engage our hearts and minds in a way that lets our full capacities and capabilities as human beings come forth, that lets our natural innate goodness be seen. And, you know, it just feels like, wow, the screams in the world are loud right now from all different aspects of life, that it's huge. And it feels so easy to be fearful, to be overwhelmed, to uh, be in despair. And it also feels like the time when we need to know of our own potential and to have the courageousness to never turn our backs on that. And to be honest, I didn't come here to preach to you about it. <laughs> it may sound like it, but no. I, I really came to be together with you around this. And, you know, I, I have so much respect for this community and the different ways that um, people are finding to practice within and carry that into the world with kindness and care. Um, I feel like there's a tremendous amount happening here of which I really bow to this community. I think it, I mean, I'm from a distance. I can have romantic ideas, right? <laughs> you can tell me how it really is. <laughs> but no, there really is something in the intention of this community that is so beautiful and that uh, it's so important, the work that you're doing. And it's absolutely essential that we do the work inward and outward. No, it just doesn't work to go out into the world and be blindly moving through our reactivity, our habits, our ideas, our views. If there's anything I've learned in this last year, two years, it's around views. And, you know, just meeting wonderful beings who can have such opposing views. And to see, no, we have to go below the views. We have to meet each other in our essential goodness. Or, or where we're confused, be willing to hold the space, knowing that confusion is painful, knowing that what it's like to be cut off from ourselves. And we, we really need to use the practice to help us stay steady, to help us stay present in which way we can engage. But without awareness, without mindfulness, we will only move from confusion. We will only move out of the habits in our minds. And out of that, what will we do? Create more suffering. So... You know, I'm, I'm really interested to, I will talk for a little bit first, but for me, I'm really looking forward to more of an engaged dialogue, uh, to, to know how we are being with life and practice right now, how we are holding this, what is helping us, what's not working, how we can support each other. And I feel like I just, I feel like I have somehow a resilient faith in our goodness, in our potential, and just in whatever way I can in being here to help nurture within all of us this potential. And so I know that because our habits are strong, 
because confusion is strong, and we, when we li- are in situations where it feels unsafe, where fear gets triggered, or where we get, you know, upset with actions of others, it's so easy to move into habit mind. It's so easy to move out of reactivity. And it happens so fast. You know, it's like, a, you know, I feel like I can be blindsided by my own emotions, that they just erupt. And certainly one thing that I learned is that through this steadiness of awareness, mindfulness, presence, being able to stay there, to be able to see what's happening, to be able to be present in this. I mean, just when we can stay aware and know our experience, it shifts it. Because in that moment, our mind hasn't collapsed into these views, into the beliefs, into perceptions that restrict us. But it's coming in contact with sensory experience. And when we can connect with that, even if it's unpleasant experience, even if we don't like it, it gives some st- stability to the mind and there becomes that openness, that sense of presence. Out of And out of this spaciousness, we can see more clearly. And so we actually can use the, where our hearts get clenched, get tight, where we don't feel good. We can use these experiences to stay present. And to, you know, it's, that allows us to have, to be able to have access to our innate qualities of love, compassion, wisdom. It allows us to have access to the, the capacities that come from these qualities when we aren't bound or restricted by confusion. And so, you know, just awareness, any moment in our lives where we know our experience. And, you know, in a moment of knowing anger, we're not following the anger, we're not feeding the anger, we're not fueling it. And we know anger becomes this raging fire really quickly. But with awareness, we see the anger. Now, the anger may be pointing towards something that needs to be addressed, something that needs to be spoken or said. You know, it may come uh, with, a, you know, out of a discernment. But when it's just caught in the reactivity, it gets confused. And out of that confusion, we can exacerbate, we can feed things that are only going to lead to more suffering. And so it's awareness, that spaciousness of mind, and awareness is non-judgmental. So awareness can let all of the bits of ourselves that we would rather shove down not be visible, the emotions that arise, the thoughts that are an embarrassment. (laughs) Fortunately, those thoughts aren't being projected a lot of the time, but they are in moments where we're not aware, where we act out, where they come spouting out our mouths. And we know how quickly that causes pain, how that causes suffering. And so, you know, awareness lets us see all of this in a really non-judgmental way. And I so often reflect on the times in my life where I have met somebody whom it's like they look at me, they can see, it's as if they can see the goodness in me, and they can see all these habits that are still there. And they completely love me, is the feeling in those moments. And, you know, to really feel seen and loved unconditionally is huge. And this is really what we need to do for ourselves. To love and care for ourselves unconditionally. Even though we do get lost, we get confused, we act somewhat 
quickly at times. <laughs> Even though we do things we wish we hadn't, make mistakes, we need to recognize within ourselves that there is this essential goodness that is always there and that it's really only because we aren't clear about what leads to true happiness and what leads to the end of suffering that we keep looking for that in ways that perpetuate what our hearts long for. And so through this quality of awareness, which is really in a sense the turning on of the lights in the mind, or coming back to a natural knowingness that is there, is always there, but is unrecognized. But coming back to this, it can help us to see deeply into our own inner wealth. It can help us to see that this infinite beauty and potential is there and to have compassion when it becomes confused and we seek we seek what we already have in ways that create pain, distress. No, so really caring for ourselves is coming back home to ourselves, coming back home to our essential nature, our true nature, what we are when we, you know, before good and bad is, what we are when we can really rest in the natural clarity of mind. And, you know, this is where we begin to see qualities of love, compassion, and an innate wisdom that isn't the uh, wisdom that we have to learn in a way. It's We have to recognize it and renew our recognition over and over again. But it's it's already here when the mind is not confused. And so we start to see that by caring for ourselves, by being tender with our own hearts, by really starting to trust in the calling of our hearts, even, you know, the, to, to want to come here tonight, to want to sit on the cushion, and I know you have a lot of dedicated practitioners here that probably sit every day and probably sit a few times a day for some people and go on retreats. You know, every time we do this, it's because of this deep caring. And this is something beautiful. Every time we get up in the morning, and we do things to care for ourselves. You know, even just putting on clothes that is going to keep us warm in the day. You know, caring for our bodies, feeding ourselves food that will keep us going, that will, you know, give us the strength to do the things that we need to in our lives. Every time, every moment that this moves us, these are expressions of these inner qualities. Even the moments where we know something's not quite right, where there's an uneasiness, this can be wisdom. You know, we, we might not know. Sometimes, you know, the, the, the sense that something's not quite right is just our knowing that we're not fully embodying our potential. And wisdom is saying, come on, come on. That, that we know in our hearts this is here. This is possible. And when through our practice, we start to clarify, we start to see, we start to have just moments where we aren't so confused. We start to gain confidence. We start to, you know, appreciate that there, there is these moments when we step out of the jungle. You know, and I've really had the, the, the um, experience in my own mind, you know, where, you know, sitting on a long retreat 
and getting lost in whirlwinds of thoughts. And, you know, talk about crazy views and mixed views. And you don't know, you don't have any sounding board to talk to somebody to know what's really true. And you're making up all these stories. And, ah, you know, you're spinning. And then you hear a sound. And you're just hearing. Or you see a sight. And you're just seeing. And in that complete simplicity, there's just this natural knowingness that is at peace, that is at ease, that is okay. And so, you know, as we really discover this in ourselves and we want to nurture, we want to nurture the, the love, the care, the kindness in our own hearts, and we start to feel something of that potential, it's really natural then that we start to understand other people's situation. To know that they are just like us. To know that they are these beings too that regardless of how they act, have, you know, this inner, inner desire to be happy, to be free from suffering. And so what happens is we can start to develop this empathetic relationship with others where there's a tenderness, more of a feeling of a sisterly, brotherly relationship, even when people act in ways that we don't like. And that there's no question, I'm not brushing this off as that being an easy thing to do, but when we have really come to know in our own experience how painful suffering is, how painful confusion is, how painful it is to do things that are harmful and not be able to change the past. But having to be finding, needing to find a way to make peace with this. Then, you know, our hearts can be moved when we see people who are doing harmful, hurtful things, when when we see this distress in others. Even, you know, sometimes when that anger is directed at us. No, we just don't take it on. You know, there's a spaciousness in our own minds. There may be action that's needed. There may be things we need to do. But that, it means in that moment, it allows us to stay present, to be able to look and see another human being as a human being. And I have to say, I'm finding this such a pro- powerful practice to do out in the world right now. It's just the practice of when I meet somebody, being present with them, just for a moment. You know, it's not that there's uh, any big experience but just to be able to look, you know, in a moment and be interested. Who are you? You know, just whether it's through presence, whether it's just through a question, whatever it is. And what I'm seeing more and more, and as was mentioned, I travel a lot. So this is, you know, around different countries in the world that there actually is a huge availability for kindness. You know, and it comes back again to that moment where we feel seen you know, that I spoke about earlier. You know, just in feeling seen. And so when somebody feels seen, they don't feel threatened. And what a gift we can give to the world when just in that quick interaction, somebody doesn't feel threatened. Because there can be so many circumstances where we do feel threatened. And so any moments when we stay true to our own hearts, it helps us to make that space available in the world for others. That we can invite moments of kindness. That we can invite moments of connection. And these are just simple moments And it feels like we don't want to overlook these simple moments 
because these simple moments actually make a lifetime. You know, so, so the, the, our lives are a string of simple moments. And it's, we really want to, in our own life, work in a way that we're not constantly drained in trying to do action in the world that isn't helping, that is depleting, that is destroying our own hearts. We want to be in the world in a way that we really help these qualities of love, compassion, kindness, wisdom to flourish, to become apparent, to become visible, to become seen, because they are in us. They're in each of us, every one of us. And it's what our hearts hunger for. Our hearts at times are desperate for. And our practice, coming back to our practice. Now, and to do this, we really need wisdom. And wisdom is where we can actually see things as they are. That is not colored by all of the misperceptions, all of the conditioning, all of the views, the beliefs. We see through that. We see we see into this infinite potential that is here. That we see that the world isn't as solid and real and configured in quite the way we make it out to be. We see how misperception is what leads us in the wrong direction so many times by believing things are a certain way when they aren't. We see that there is, that we're living in a world of constantly changing conditions. We see that that is just the way of life. We see that we can't hang on to something solid and find happiness in it. We can't hang on to relationships, people, jobs, situations. That impermanence on one level is just what all forms, all aspects of experience, phenomena do. They arise and pass away. But we also begin to see that there's an interconnectedness in this, that all of these experiences, all this phenomena, is arising in an interdependent relationship. And that the more awareness, the more love, the more compassion that we access in our own lives, that this has a natural ripple-out effect into the world, and that if we want to affect change, that these are the qualities we want to look to and have no doubt about, to have complete confidence in these qualities. These qualities, in a sense, that are not personal and yet express themselves uniquely within each being. And, you know, when we see things clearly and be able to see this inner potential that we all have, we start to become less afraid, less fearful, less anxious. We start to begin to trust in a way that we, that it's hard when we are looking to rely on things in the world that are unreliable, that are subject to change. When we see really deeply into how things are, we begin to see that 
all of these building blocks of our experience, that they, that there's nothing that inherently exists by itself. And we begin to see into what's called emptiness in the Tibetan tradition. And I'd like to read a teaching from my teacher, Mingyur Rinpoche, about emptiness, because I think he says it very beautifully. While the Buddha did teach that the nature of the mind, in fact, the nature of all phenomena, is emptiness, he didn't mean that their nature was truly empty, like a vacuum. He said it was emptiness, which in the Tibetan language is made up of two words, tongpa ni. The word tongpa means empty, but only in the sense of something beyond our ability to perceive with our senses and our capacity to conceptualize. Maybe a better translation would be inconceivable or unnameable. The word ni, meanwhile, doesn't have any particular meaning in everyday Tibetan conversation, but when added to another word, it conveys a sense of possibility, a sense that anything can arise, anything can happen. So when Buddhists talk about emptiness, we don't mean nothingness, but rather an unlimited potential for anything to appear, change, or disappear. So when we recognized this wisdom aspect of nothing truly existing in itself, what we open our minds to is that of infinite potential that comes from the non-conceptual mind that is based in these qualities of love, compassion, and wisdom. And our journey is this exploration. And it's a journey that we do together, all of us. And this is where, because of this aspect of interconnectedness, we are all in this together, which means that when one heart cries, we're all affected. When one person begins to see more clearly, it has this effect. And so sometimes our worlds feel small, disempowered, And yet, when we use our lives in the way to bring forth these qualities, it has an impact. It has an effect. And, you know, this is really, in my mind, what I feel like in times when things may feel darker, grimmer, that that's the times when we really have to look deeply in our own hearts, because not only do we need this, the world needs this. So I'd really like to open this up to conversation, to what it is to be a human being at whatever, in whatever place we are right now, however confused or awake we might feel. What's it like? And what do we draw on? What helps us? Yes. Do we have a microphone? Yes. My name's... It's on? My name's David. Um, Hi, David. You you asked, what's it like? And well, first, I want to thank you for coming and sharing your 
observation that in your you have quite a bit of experience and I appreciate your sharing that in your experience you still have your mind wander off <laughs> during the meditation so oh well, never never <laughs> yes <laughs> um for me I have a job and um I'm a kind of a practical person yeah um and I like coming here and being around all these people who are talking about compassion and meditating and learning to calm themselves. And for me, some of the, what this does for me in my life is it helps me to be calmer at work and to be more compassionate. And it gives me a different way to interact with people. If they do something that I find annoying or concerning or whatever, it gives me another way to approach it than I used to have in the past. And it has to do with compassion and it has to do with calmness. Yeah. Um, and it's been a wonderful addition to my life. Right. I don't I have any pretense at being extremely skilled at this, but just what I've picked up along the way has been wonderful. That's great to hear. Really great to hear. Uh, yes. And just to say, 40 years down the track of practicing, <laughs> yeah, I still have many moments where I don't feel so skilled. But I am kinder when I realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Miocian, thank you. Uh, you said in your uh, talk, and this is what I really kind of grabbed onto, was there is in each of us an essential goodness. And so I like to think of that beyond myself more than anything, even those people I have the most difficulty with, especially now. And yet you still bring it back to the caring for ourselves as the core work to do before we can really fully see that in the other. And I just know, and I've seen this in the world today, by the reaction, by the motivation to stand up, to see that other people are suffering, not just here, but even more pronounced, you know, in the countries that we affect, the people that we see on the streets, it's, it's, not just a, it's not just a me thing. We're all sharing this fear. Mm-hmm. We're all sharing this terror. Mm-hmm. But we also, I'm seeing great power in the um, activism, mm-hmm. people volunteering to do things more than I've ever done. I've done more than I've ever done in my life. And, and I know it's not me. It's this other thing that's moving. And um, it gives me uh, faith. And uh, I'd like to hear what other people, if they're seeing it too. I would certainly say I'm seeing it from where I sit. And that... Um, This is where I think we really see our interconnectedness. And we really see that, you know, for us to stay caught in those views, those judgments of ways of holding people, isn't helpful. And that calls us to action. It's beautiful. Actually, I, in my travels recently, this, and this, compared to what's going on in the world, is small, but it was just interesting. Um, two days before I went on a trip to Germany and Russia, I broke my leg. And so then I traveled there still, but, you know, in airports, in a wheelchair, with a, you know, a, um, a boot on my leg. And it was just such a magnet for kindness and compassion. I, I really, I felt like I was carried on that trip by loving kindness and compassion. And this was not just the people I knew. This was complete strangers, the, just walking down the street, just people. And I feel that's 
like I feel there's an availability there that because of the sense of crisis in a sense is becoming more apparent when we have the eyes to see, when we have that recognition. And then I'm sure we also have situations where it doesn't feel accessible, moments where it doesn't feel accessible. But like you, I really take heart in a lot of what I see. So, anybody else? Did you have something before sure. travels back? <laughs> well, you've got it. <laughs> My name is Mike, and um, uh, one of the things you touched on was caring for yourself. And... Uh, Obviously, meditation, exercise, eating healthy, those are all examples of caring for yourself. But one of the things like I've found in my own personal life is caring for others, like random acts of uh, generosity, random acts of kindness, like are one of the biggest sources of caring for myself. So... Uh, hello, thanks for uh, coming tonight. Uh, you mentioned that you um, lived in Australia, and it, and it reminded me that uh, about an article I just read about the Great Barrier Reef bleaching. And, um, it, you know, I, I, one of the, I guess, things I look for in meditation is uh, a certain calmness to be able to uh, evaluate and deal with some of these what seem overwhelming changes in the environment and um you know so i find it easy to to sometimes get really uh down about that like well i'm one individual how am i stopping climate change and um and so meditation and being kind to myself and those around me is certainly helpful for my own you know, kind of personal angst, but, uh, you know, I, I'd be curious, like, you know, what, what you see as uh, a tool or a direction when, when kind of faced with something big like that. Um, that's yeah. it. Yeah. I think there's a couple of pieces there maybe I could speak to. Um, one is that sense that, you know, our little actions when there is massive destruction, whatever happening. Uh, I loved a story I heard years ago about a uh, old man walking along this beach that had all these, uh, I think they were some kind of jelly blobs that had come in, or star- starfish, it was starfish that had come in and were on the beach. And it was massive, you know, it had been a big storm or whatever and left them there. And the, the old man's walking along and throwing them back into the water. And somebody comes along and says, hey, wait, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm throwing these back into the water. And the person says, yeah, but there's so many. You know, what difference is it going to make? And he picks one up and he throws it in and he said, well, it matters to that one. So that's where I think we want to... Be careful about the judging mind that says, what I'm doing doesn't matter. What you're doing does matter. You know, and it it matters. And that's where, you know, if what we do in our lives reflects these qualities, you know, reflects the caring, even though, yeah, we muck up at times. But if it reflects something of that, that has an impact that often goes beyond what we know, beyond what we'll ever have heard, you know, it's not like every time we do something that influences somebody else, we hear about it. We don't, you know, and, and, you know, I just look at in my own life when there has been somebody with these spontaneous moments of kindness towards me, how I could have been in one of these grim moods and that moment of kindness opened my heart. You know, it just has an effect. And so that's one aspect Another is that when we see some of these things, like the Great Barrier Reef getting bleached, and it tugs on our hearts, we don't want to override the pain of that. 
we don't want to get lost in despair, but to be able to actually feel that pain. Because out of the feeling of that and allowing ourselves to be with it, it may be that in the seeing of this, we recognize that there, there isn't anything in our immediate world we can do, and sometimes there might be. But, but when it's like, if we try to deny, suppress, we will feel fragmented. But, you know, it's like letting the cries of the world be heard, but by wisdom, by that openness of heart and mind, that clear seeing, clarity. And I, you know, I... It's like even in what seemingly impossible circumstances, would you not want to be true to your heart? Would you not want to be true to that within you that really knows, that cares, and be lost in states of anger, fear, anxiety, despair? That's where... It, 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 it's a really challenging time because, you know, when we see this things getting bleached out in that way, you know, and life not likely to come back in the same way in that place, it's hard. And yet, we give ourselves to life. And this, going back to Hoganson, the Zen master that I, I, that gave me my name, I remember so clearly, um, you know, he's an activist. In it, when he lived in Japan, he was quite an activist. I think he still lives there part time, but I'm not sure. That he he would do things. You know, he would protest. He would write to the government. He would uh, he was he was active. And you know, and yet he's a, really a man of profound wisdom, realization, and encourages people to do self retreat, to do practice within our own minds. Um, and so, you know, one day when my heart was feeling quite broken about the situ- some situation in, on the world, on the planet, uh, and I just remember him saying in such a balanced way, knowing this is a man who deeply cares, he in a very matter-of-fact way said, we live on a dying planet. And so it's like, even if that is the result of this, whatever, we take care of it with all the love and compassion that's in our hearts, no matter what. You know, that's what we stay true to, is these qualities. And practically in our lives, we take action where we can. We do what we can. So we might be a scientist with certain skills and we have, you know, we can, we can do whatever we do or, you know, we know things that harm the ocean and we know things that we can do in our lives where we don't, we can refrain from using certain things. So we still do what we do on a very practical level. Hi, my name is Ali in motion. Thank you for your words and your kind, compassionate presence. Um, one of your opening questions is, why do we come here week yeah. after week? Uh, this afternoon or this morning, we had brunch with my family who lives um, outside the Twin Cities and have a different political persuasion than I do. And so I ended up really feel- coming home. We had an enjoyable time, but a lot of buttons were pr- pushed. And I was quite frustrated and upset and angry. And so when I came to sit tonight, I was in a real rage state. I mean, I, a lot of this was going through my head. And, and, and as I was meditating, by the end of the meditation period, I was at a somewhat calm place. And then as I heard you talk and heard other people talk, I started to feel back-centered again. I felt nurtured. I felt back home again. And um, I think that's why I come back here again and again to get nurtured, to feel at home, and uh, 
and thank you and thank everyone yeah. here because <laughs> I need this support. This is where I get nurtured. Thank you. Very well said. Um, I certainly see the virtues of the kind of equanimity that we nurture here but when one is working uh, with um, activist groups in the community very often uh, one of the first and most important questions, whether it's asked explicitly or not, is just which side are you on? And I think that there is the perception that, and and I have to say we are not the only faith community that believes in the beloved community and in in, in love. Oh, okay. Is this better? Is this is this is this better? Uh, we're not the only people of, of faith, you know, who believe in essentially loving the people you perceive as the enemy. But nonetheless, in in secular groups that we're connected to, um, I think that there's a perception that it really takes a lot of privilege to be disconnected in, in a certain sense enough to believe. In other words, if you think this isn't going to affect you personally, then your equanimity is a whole lot easier to maintain. Um and um, and so I'm struck by that. I mean, sometimes uh, reading or listening to or being with people, you know, who are playing in an action or in a demonstration, it gives me a certain amount of cognitive dissonance, you know, because a lot of a certain amount of cognitive dissonance, meaning I'm I'm chanting one thing and I'm thinking, ooh, wince, you know, <laughs> this is not really a Buddhist perception here. Yeah. So I just wondered how I mean, if other people have thought about this and and how you would handle it. Anyone want to respond to that? There's somebody over there. Yeah, I don't think I need the microphone. Yeah, I'm well, just being recorded, so oh. <laughs> the only thing here is to be on the podcast. Oh, all right. So um, I, I really appreciate that that uh, question. Um, I'm involved in a, a lot of activism as well, and uh, I, I share the the sentiment. Um, and I really feel like this sort of, without getting too overtly political, this sort of narrative around like resist, 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 that is, and and sort of fight hate, um, is sort of we need to go a little bit beyond that, and um, realize that people that have, um, you know, pushed oppression and cause human suffering and want to build walls and you know you know all the the things that we're out protesting um they're doing so because there's delusion um and there's a lack of like love and compassion so we need to come to that with those folks and I, and i really feel like that's really important work in activism that we haven't done and that's part of why we are where we are so I don't know that that's been sort of um, something that I've been thinking about a lot. Yeah. So. Anyone else have is it a response to this? Hi, <laughs> and it's funny because it's not really about activism at all because I um, I have young children and so I'm trying to be active as much as I can while still being a good parent and present for my children. And what I'm finding, especially with my kids, is that the more obnoxiously they behave, the more challenging they are. And so the more badly they behave, it's as if they're just saying, I I need more love. (laughs) And every... Irritation is actually a, a cry for more love, mm-hmm. and they're they're doing it in a way that is actually repellent. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I do love them. Um, 
<laughs> but that's the challenge is that when I'm seeing this this horrible behavior, it's not horrible. It's not horrible. They're little. Um, when I'm seeing this difficult behavior to, to give the love and, and I find that coming here and, and trying to practice on my own, it's giving me that moment to pause before I just come back at it with, with my anger or whatever I've been triggered in and to come back at it with, Oh wait, you're asking for love. I forgot. So that's, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So in many, I think this has already been said in a few ways, but just to respond a little bit from my perspective, um, you know, it's beautiful that we're called to activism, and I think that that can be a place of our practice, you know, that we can bring our hearts fully there, even though it might not be shared in the same way by others. And again, I think that that can have an effect. Uh, actually, I know a woman who works in social justice, and she was sharing how um, people had started coming to her office because it, being with her helped them to find more balance. And, you know, you, the, if we don't know how to respond, I mean, just look at our own lives and how many times that we were hurt and the ways that we responded to protect or defend or help ourselves actually exacerbated our own suffering. And this is something we uncover in our practice. We see all the ways we've caged our hearts off in order to protect it actually becomes a prison. And so, you know, this is just what we do in confusion. And so I, I, I encourage us in whatever ways we are called to live and act in our lives that these two are places where our hearts can be. Yes. I uh, worked with a group of people over the summer, and they didn't share my political views, and I have family members who don't share my political views, obviously. And... um, and I guess my perception was, you know, and I and I hear this in other places, is that these people on the other side don't have kindness, they don't have compassion, and it's just not true. These these people do have kindness. I mean, I, I've seen it, you know, and I've experienced it. They do have kindness. They do have compassion. It's just that I don't agree with it. And I and I I was listening to a, a radio program, and and this this woman on the radio was talking about how. You know, through Facebook and all these other social media, you start to only hear one side of the story. And I, you know, and and people who that I started to get upset with about because of their political views and the things they're posting, I quit following them. And so I start to hear only one side of this story. And I, what I've been trying to do is try to listen to the other side of the story also. And just even though I really don't understand, I I've been trying to understand. So that's all I have. Thank you. Thank you. And we're going to need to um, wrap it up. And with that, I want to say that one piece for me is because, because I just, maybe I'm just so confused, that I find views confusing. And the, the listening and the presence is wonderful. And what I'm really trying to look now is not even that, but really just that knowing this is a human being. You know, to finding that real commonality that is, is there as people, regardless of views. So, just to say thank you all uh, for your presence, for being here. It's wonderful to be back in this community. Very dear to my hearts here. And I do follow along with what's happening here um, and know that uh, yeah, I just celebrate it. So thank you for bringing into the world what you do. Mm-hmm.
This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.